Yeah. Um, it's the beginning of spooky season, and I'm very excited. Welcome to like legitimately, episode 14 of the History Was podcast and the start of spooky season. <gasps> Are you excited? I'm so excited. Can you feel it? I can. In the my spookiness. Bones. I'm Morgan. I'm Lexi. Thank you for coming back. So we're very excited. We're kicking off. Um, this episode should be coming out on the 5th of October. So we're very excited. The beginning of Los Spooky Season. Like, the the kind that is, like, Goofy widely spooky. accepted the Spooky Season. Like, we started it back in September, but now it's really, it's, it's time. It's October. It's really real. It's real, real. Y'all, for real, for real, for real, for real. So, yeah, so we have decided that we're going to make all of our episodes that come out in October around something spooky. And this week... Take it away. Uh, we are doing uh, a wild woman of history because women are terrifying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are doing witchy woman. Yeah, I guess witchy women, if witchy you will. Women. But you know, cue the song that we don't oh have rights gosh. to play. Witchy if you guys want to pause it right here and go check out that song, <laughs> phenomenal. Recommend it. Also, season of the witch. It's yes. also very good. Season of the witch. I can do one second. I think is how long before you have, and it's also my version. So. <laughs> You know, I there's a lot it. of covers. It's fine. Yeah, we're doing um, great. Um, yeah. So how are you doing, aside from, you know, surviving a hurricane? Yeah, I guess last time I left you guys, we were, like, nervous about the hurricane. And then it did show up. There were many gusty winds. Uh, we lost a fence, but that fence was really not structurally sound to begin <laughs> with. It's because if you have a wood fence in Florida, basically, you, you have, like, that, and that fence had been there since forever i've known that house and yeah. so that's good 20 something years and yeah. so like and it's a wooden fence and those typically have a shelf life of five years at best really yeah okay. because well it's so humid like Makes i mean sense. the wood just rots rots quickly yeah. which is why we have vinyl fencing on a lot of it and we're gonna replace it with vinyl fencing gotcha. now um and that's honestly the way to go. Yeah. Maybe we, wooden fences work at other places. I don't maybe. know. I don't know. We have ended up evacuating to my in-laws to be's house, which was very nice of them to house us for that long. Yes. Because um, we were flood zone A. And thankfully the storm, well, okay, so thankfully for Tampa, tragic for everyone south of us. Yeah, Fort Myers. Uh, yeah. One of my that coworkers uh, lost everything. That's he so was uh, on Sanibel Island. Oh my gosh. And yeah, I was thinking about that. Like, uh, I mean, and this isn't just for hurricanes, like natural disasters, or if like your house catches fire. And I'm like thinking about like just like your most obscure item that you may have though, but you're just like, yeah, no, it's gone. Everything is gone. Yeah. Like that one t shirt you love that was from high school, gone. Yeah. They, they lost every, well, so they haven't like made it back to their house yet because the island is, yeah. the, the road to get there is gone. Um, but I guess someone sent a picture of their house and he said the roof is still there, but there is a palm tree through it. Oof. Um, and then we had another person, uh, my main office is stationed out of Clearwater, Florida. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we had no shit on salespeople. They just make weird choices sometimes. And, uh, we had a sales rep, uh, evacuate from St. Petersburg. Mm Mm-hmm. To Fort Myers Beach. 
they don't have a car anymore. Oh, <laughs> like so... they. I don't know at what point you're evacuating and you're like looking at it because mm-hmm. we were looking at the storm as we were evacuating mm-hmm. Tampa to the east coast of Florida, mm-hmm. looking at that, Makes going sense. Yeah. well. And the storm was starting to curve, but we're like, well, yeah. they can do anything. So yes. let's just. Our apartment is right next to the Hillsborough River. We're separated mm-hmm. by literally a parking lot. So. Mm-hmm. Gotta go. Yeah. So we just decided to evacuate. But as we were driving in the multitude of traffic of evacuees, Mm -hmm. uh, there was, um, like, it was starting to curve. And I was almost like, man, we could just go home. But, you know, the off chance that it floods. Yeah, because you never know. I mean, that's happened with several big storms. So, like, when I lived... This is throwing it back and dating myself. Yeah, but you guys are, well, you guys lived through Andrew. Andrew yeah, yeah, we were in Miami, and it was supposed to hit us head on. Last second, swerved and went for Homestead instead. Yeah. In- instead, um, and then when it was 2005 and it was here, and then we had Charlie. It was supposed to hit us yeah. head on. That's what all the spaghetti models had it and going. It hit Punta Gorda again, same as this track, except last second. They said. This hurricane, Charlie, all of Charlie would have fit in the eye of this hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, Charlie was much smaller, and it was fast-moving, and that was another thing for Andrew. It was also small and Mm -hmm. fast-moving, whereas this hurricane was gigantic. I mean, seeing the picture of it from space was wild. Yeah. It was huge. There wasn't a part of Florida that didn't feel something from this. Right. We were over in Titusville, Mm -hmm. and we... So we had evacuated to Titusville, and my... Uh, mother-in-law to be uh, her yard is low-lying and the other houses are higher so everyone's water just kind right. of floods into mm-hmm. her property um, and her house almost flooded like mm-hmm. thankfully through some redneck engineering it did not but um, also I think we're buying them pumps for their birthdays <laughs> That'd be great. this year <laughs> um, the least cool birthday present but no necessary that's fine um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah we're buying them pumps for their yard but uh it like terrifying, like watching the water just rise, and we're on literally the other side of the state. We left to avoid flooding, and then we're still met with flooding. That's but, the thing yeah. about Florida—you just never know. Everything's flat until it isn't, <laughs> and yeah. you're just on like this random hill, and that's where all of the water goes. Even though the like by hill, I mean like it, you're, it's you're a, just like it's a, a, you're like two feet different of elevation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely, you know, uh, make your donations and everything that you can to the Fort Myers storm relief. Yeah. Red cross. Or if you have things that you can donate. Yeah. Because it's, they need help. Yeah. And it was interesting because, um, when the storm was approaching, they were talking about the difference between Tampa and Miami and how vulnerable we are. And like, cause like Miami is, after especially after Andrew, everything ended up being built, built to, to a code that can survive a Cat Five hurricane. Tampa is not on that so, code. So not fun fact, but so <laughs> Tampa has had so many near misses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's frequently said that there was a bit of Tampa folklore. Mm-hmm. Uh, a witch in Saint Pete mm-hmm. placed a spell on Saint Pete to protect it from yeah hurricanes, and that is why. Supposedly, 
uh, well, every hurricane, yeah. yeah, every hurricane curves and misses us it is narrowly. Weird, and I, I guess we can. And for most things that were weird throughout history, we do typically attend. Like, yep, which, which it's a witch, <laughs> witch, uh, witch, you're, you're a witch. witch. Yeah, so yeah, because it we have had so many that is like all like at least the majority of the mid spaghetti model is like, oh, it's gonna hit you direct hit, mm-hmm. and then last it second. Never does just ducks again so consider that when you're moving here if you are in the tampa bay area do not bank on that if you are in evacuation area please oh no please evacuate please listen to your we all love hurricane parties everyone loves a good hurricane party yeah um but no one loves a hurricane party in the attic as the water is rapidly rising and if you're going to be in the attic you make sure that you have an axe up there otherwise you're just going to drown in the attic yep which is very sad and, and it's happened I think before it's, to other people and it sucks i think they're counting right now from emergency calls that they weren't able to get to like no less than 200 people that, that haven't been recovered yet or at least it's what my um partner's father said he's a cop and that they were sense. i was i've able been to purpose- hear yeah I've been purposefully not listening or watching the news for a myriad of reasons. I think I stopped mostly during February when <laughs> <laughs> when Ukraine got invaded. Yeah, and I, I followed like very, very, very closely. And then somewhere around August, I just dropped yeah, off. I was like, you need the break. I can't actually watch this anymore. Yeah. And it hasn't gotten better in Ukraine, by the way. I still get the highlights. Yeah. It's just getting worse and worse. So um, um, This was Depressing Corner with oh shit. the history Yeah, sorry, laws. guys. Uh, but we're uh, more excited about witches and yeah. stuff. Uh, pumpkins and bats and, and pumpkins cats. And the new Hocus Pocus that came out. Bette Midler, queen. She really um, is. But she's a legend. Yes. And speaking of and a the fantastic legend witch, witch. Um, we will start with our... Uh, first wine of the evening. So I've had this wine before. Not this particular one, but I've, so it's the Witching Hour brand. Um, they have had a few wines now. So they've got like a dark blend. They have their original blend, the, uh, but it's all basically a red blend. Um, and they always have a really cool label. This one is called their Deep Red Blend. It is a reserve um, they have a very fun description on the back that I'm not going to read all of to you because it's just too much, but it got my attention because it's got the chocolate and coffee notes. And I tend to really like it when things say they have a coffee note, um, in the red wine. So mm-hmm. very excited. I've and had it's... a couple sips prematurely and okay. I can confirm it is delicious. Okay, but... cool. And they, it's like, I think their original blend is like eight bucks. Like it's very... Inexpensive. Inexpensive for a very decent wine. Um, so like even their reserve red blend was like twelve ninety nine. Nice. But it's good as far as I understand. So cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very good. Yeah. They're incredibly underrated. I don't even remember where they're out of. California. Okay. It doesn't really expound. But so yeah, California. Witching hour, very decent wine, especially if you're throwing a party, like a big party, and you need to buy like a bunch of red wine. I believe you did that for me for a party you threw for me. I did. Uh, we had boatloads of. I bought a case, hour. and yeah. if it's seven ninety nine a, a bottle, and people just drink it, and it, it's so it's it's very very good yeah. wine, especially for the price. Like yeah, fantastic for the because normally like. 
if you buy a $7.99 red wine, you're probably going to have very sweet wine and it's going to cause a headache. But this wine... Pretty pretty solid. It is solid. Even, yeah. So, highly recommend. Highly, highly, highly Go get it. Go get it. Drink it while you listen to this episode. Yeah. So, first up... I'm first, right? You are first. Okay, I just want to double check myself. Tell us. I'm so excited for this episode. Me too. So this week, I am covering the life of famous New Orleans queen, Marie Laveau. Yay! I'm very excited. Witches! Yes. So now there's a lot of lore around her. She's been portrayed in a lot of different medias, and they've used her reputation as a voodoo practitioner to fill whatever blank they needed if they were writing a supernatural story set in New Orleans. Um, I like the the portrayal that Angela Bassett did in season three of American Horror Story. That was very fun. It was very, very fun. Um, but not a lot of shows or movies cover her real life as she lived it and experienced it. So here today on History Woes, I wanted to give the lady her dues and tell her story, warts and all. Hell yes. Because witches have <laughs> <laughs> And I wrote that earlier. I laughed a lot of myself. I like that last week you did uh, cover, well, the sea witch, and mm-hmm. now you have Marie Laveau. Oh, yeah. You started early. I guess I did, yeah. I love it. <laughs> um, so, Marie was born Marie Catherine Laveau on September 10th, 1801, in New Orleans, Louisiana. She was born a Louisiana Creole. This means she was part of a people who lived in colonial Louisiana before it became a part of the United States in 1812. During this period, there was both French and Spanish rule in New Orleans, which you can still see in the phenomenal architecture in New Orleans. Go. Drink. Be merry. Yeah, it's a great Take city, it guys. in. It's a beautiful place. Oh my goodness. Uh, don't stop when the people ask you or bet you that they know where you got your shoes. Don't keep do walking. It. Yeah, keep walking. Um, today, Louisiana Creoles are known as an ethnic group whose ancestry is mainly French, West African, Spanish, and of indigenous peoples. Um, they share cultural ties, such as the traditional use of French, Spanish, and Louisiana Creole languages, and a predominant practice in Catholicism. They're a super interesting people. And I encourage everyone to read about them. They still heavily influenced Louisiana to this day with food, music, language. They're kind of a perfect portrayal of what America should be. Um, just combining cultures and getting that richness that ensues from that, which ends up being completely unique. Um, but I will say, though, because it, it, it's important. But if we could do it without the oppression, that would be yeah, super Yeah, that while I definitely love this culture, it wouldn't have been this way without slaves being imported from West Africa. So that's a, a bummer. And I say bummer because there isn't really a word or a sentence or a book that will sum up what slaves went through. But from their descendants, New Orleans has become a truly unique place that is different than anywhere else I've ever been. It's Europe and America, but at the same time, not European at all. Everyone should go. Um, This will conclude my love letter to New Orleans. I didn't mean to write one, but when I started writing, one appeared, and that is... It is, is. hands down, my favorite, favorite, favorite city. Yes. And... Truly. Do you cover her tomb later? I will. Okay. And uh, I have a a story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to ask you to insert story here. Uh, Because, yeah, we're definitely going to cover her tomb. It's... 
Love it. Love all of it. Back to Marie. Tell Um, me everything about her. So, yes. Marie was born a free woman of color um, and is what now is uh, New Orleans, the French Quarter. Uh, Her parents are thought to be Charles Laveau Trudeau. I don't think he's related to Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But he was a white Frenchman and politician. Um, and Marguerite de Arcantel, a free woman of color who was of white, black, and indigenous people's ancestry. Um, New Orleans was unique also at this time in American history in the South in that there was still slavery, but there were free people of color everywhere as well. And it, it wasn't like this gigantic scandal when white people and people of color were together. Like, it would have been in other places in the South. Um, so, and I think a lot of this came from where New Orleans is. This is just me speculating. I didn't look this up to say that it's a fact. There are likely people who have spent much more time on this subject than me. Uh, but New Orleans is in a very important place geographically. Um, it's at the mouth of the Mississippi River uh, in the Gulf of Mexico. And the river feeds all the way north through the United States to Minnesota, but basically pretty much all the way to Canada. There is a lot of boat and cargo traffic, both past and present. Um, And with New Orleans being this huge port city, you're seeing a lot of different people come from all over the world. And you're getting people with different faiths, different color, and different moral compass. So the fact that many people of mixed race in many languages, which in is many how you languages, get that yeah. very interesting, very New interesting Orleans dialect. Yeah. So the fact that you're seeing all these people of mixed race was not as big of a deal in New Orleans, especially in the French Quarter, as it would have been in close states like even Alabama, which is right there. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that New Orleans wasn't built on racist ideals, because it was. Um, it was just a bit different than other places around it. Um, so. Marie is born in the French Quarter. Not much is known about her early life um, after that until she marries Jacques Paris. Or Jacques Paris. I still don't know how to say that name, even though I've done whole episodes on it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But she marries him on August 4th, uh, not 19, 1819. Uh, Jacques was a free man of color who had fled from the Haitian Revolution in the former French colony of Saint... I looked up how to say this word. Saint-Domingue. Saint-Domingue. Yeah, because I was like, is it the same as Saint-Dominique? But it's not. So Saint-Domingue, apparently sometimes it can rhyme with meringue. That's how I looked it up. But yeah. I just know that from the, uh, actually, <laughs> the Witching Hour audiobook. Yeah. Where they mentioned the location is the only reason. Saint-Domingue, yeah. And I remember them saying Saint-Dominique as well. And I was like, is this... I. Or San Domingue. Yeah, San Domingue, but yes. But San Domingue rhymes meringue. Yep. Um, uh, Jacques was known as a quadroon, which is a person with one quarter African heritage and three quarter white European ancestry. Um, wow. And I know that we're talking about race a lot, and my sources did as well. And it's because of the diversity in New Orleans, and I included it in my story because it just seems weird to leave things out about New Orleans at this time. Race. The, the very whitewashed stories of New Orleans are very strange to me. Yeah, cause... it is. It is weird. And race and where that placed you in New Orleans was really complex. So I was like, I, I don't want to leave it out because quadroons were like a whole thing. And there was like Which, octoroons. And it sounds, 
Which it was sounds like, derogatory as fuck, and I'm not yeah. sure. No, I'm sure it is. I, yeah. But it was also just how people were referred to. Like, yeah. you've got quadroons, which have that quarter African ancestry, and then you have these octoroons, which, as you may an guess, eighth. is an eighth. And, like, you have, like, these people who are considered, quote-unquote, passing. Like, because right. they can pass oh, for white. white, but, like, they're not necessarily, and it, it sucks that that it's was a, ever a thing. It's just, but it's weird to like leave that out is when it's it, huge. Yeah. So I, I get why we, why you would include it and why it's very important to note. I'm just, is it a slur? I have no idea. Okay. I, I, I really don't know. Public know. apologies from us if our ignorance and we're yeah, I don't, saying awful things. Uh, yeah. I don't it. think it's necessarily a slur. Yeah. It seems weird. Like I'm like, don't, like, I'm not going to... I hope it's not a slur. And I'll note it later, but basically, like, how light or not light your skin was, was how you placed in right. society in New Orleans at mm-hmm. this time. So, it would have been... So, the people who were whiter, so octoroons or quadroons, had, yeah. like, a better place in society than someone of darker and skin. And honestly, that... It, which, ugh, this is just, again, it just sucks because even if you were an octoroon or if you were a quadroon, it you could still come out as a person who had darker skin mm-hmm. or whiter. You can, you can have someone who was of half European white I don't, ancestry. I don't mean to point to you personally, but to you personally, <laughs> you have... A darker skin tone than yeah. both of your parents. Yeah. So I came out and I don't look like my family. <laughs> like, no. I've done the 23 in me. I am my family. But like, but I you look, look Arabic. Yeah. So I came out <laughs> with this very yellow, greenish undertone olive. skin, olive skin. Like I came out with super olive skin. None of my family looks like me. But... <laughs> And then, so that, and that could happen here with these people too, where it's like, okay, but like maybe your one parent was completely of African descent and oof, one white parent, and you may have been someone who could pass still. Right. Whereas you may also have somebody who was a quote octoroon, and but they look much darker than they, than people would, I don't want to say should, because it, 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 that's just not how genetics works. Yeah. You have these recessive genes, and sometimes they pull through. Yeah. And, yeah. Genetics are crazy. We here at this podcast know that that's absolutely fucking ridiculous, but at but this it time, was it was what was going on. Time. Yeah. So, so how did Marie Laveau play into this? Well, and that's really interesting. So she's, uh, so she's born in the French Quarter. She marries this guy. He's a quadroon. But he's from Haiti. Um, so racist shit all over the place. Um, Marie and Jacques had two daughters. Uh, a little like this is like a French spelling of Felicity um, in 1817. And I'm going to say this is probably a French angel, but it's on Angile probably um, in 1820. Both disappeared from census records in the 1820s. So it's likely that they died. But it's the 1820s. It's a subtropical climate. There are a host of diseases to choose from, Everybody especially died. for instance. Yeah, especially for infants. Uh, Jacques would also die in 1820. Um, R.I.P. Jacques. Yeah. After Jacques' passing, Marie entered into a domestic partnership with. This guy has 18 names. Uh, she Chris- said, "I ain't marrying again." Exactly. <laughs> so it's Christophe, Dominique, Dominique de Glapion. 
Um, it's a no. He was a nobleman of French descent. We call um, him Chris. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they reportedly had fifteen children, or this could be also like children slash like also grandchildren. But so there, there was a lot of yours, kids. mine, ours, and ours. Yeah, fifteen. Exactly. Yeah, so they it's didn't uncertain. Have TVs yet? <laughs> they needed other hobbies. It's uncertain how many were theirs. Um, but even if it was all like fifteen, those numbers aren't too huge based on infant mortality rates at the time. But for Fair. certain, they had at least seven children recorded in birth and baptismal records. Fuck, it's a lot of fucking kids. Um, during her life with Christophe or Chris, uh, the couple owned <laughs> at least seven slaves. Oh. Um, this wasn't uncommon for people of means in New Orleans, which they were, um, even if they were people of color, um, though people of color still would have ha- uh, been subject to the Louisiana black code. I'm sorry to say these things. It sucks. Um, but these codes were designed to limit the freedom of African Americans in the colony to prevent desertion and ensure the availability of cheap labor force. Uh, slave owners were mandated to baptize their slaves in the Catholic faith and to give them Sundays off for worship. Slaves were allowed to marry. Separation of families was not permitted, and slave owners were not allowed to severely beat or murder the enslaved. And I guess that's fucking prize, but no, it's, it's really to fucking interpretation not. of what severe means, but also <sighs> exactly. So you're treating them like almost people. So hey, not great exactly. Job. <laughs> so while French laws provided greater rights to slaves and their British, uh, British and Dutch counterparts, uh, Louisiana's law differed in several negative ways as well. Um, they restricted the movement of people of African descent and stipulated that the status of people with darker skin was always lower than those with lighter complexions. Additionally, it was intentionally it in, intentionally thwarted contact between racial groups, though as we've discussed, this still happened all the time. Um, there were al- also articles within the Code Noir, which it was also called, uh, so the Code Noir, um, that were intended to ensure the safety and well-being of slaves as merchandise so they could be productive workers. The runaway slaves Ugh. were referred to as maroons. I don't like saying those things, but it's so also are the eighteen hundreds in Louisiana. Okay, so if they're called maroons, is the quadroon octoroon a derivative of that? Saying Probably. That the I don't know. Yeah, escaped at some point. Yeah, I like you have an escapee in your. No, not necessarily, I don't think, because there was, I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but there's um, a law that ended up being in place where people of African descent were able to buy their own freedom, which wasn't super, yeah, it is. Sorry, I just put my head in my hands, I hate. Uh, America is great (laughs) because we can continuously make her better, but damn, was it shitty, and still is, we're... We're trying, people right? Of color, yeah. Please um, vote in November. Please, but, please vote in November. Um, but it's just, it's so... It's just, we're, it's a history podcast. We can't yeah. talk about American history you gotta too look... far back. Actually, not far back. It's still happening. But like, we <laughs> you can't have to go look at it words without... and all. But... Yeah. We all can't right. go far enough back and be like, yeah. oh, there weren't slaves here. Like, that's... That's Unfair. just not talking about a very specific part of our history... That's still affecting people today. Absolutely. Um. So we right. we gotta talk. Sorry, about it. It sucks, but it 
is what it is. Yikes. Um, yeah. So, America. I don't know how true this next part is, but I wanted to mention it because it would be really nice if it was true. Um, there is no evidence that Marie was involved in the slave trade prior to her partnership with Chris. Uh, but there is archival evidence uh, that he was involved in buying and selling slaves prior to being with Marie. That's not surprising again. Uh, he was French and the French embraced slave ownership as part of their culture since 1706. I hate this. I hate these words. Uh, chattel slavery had been perpetrated against native populations in Louisiana until 1768 when under Spanish rule, the enslavement of indigenous peoples was banned. This ban did not include Africans or people of African descent. However, uh, Spanish rule did eventually introduce, going to try not butcher, butcher this word, but Cortesión, a new law that allowed slaves to buy their freedom and freedom for other slaves. It was under this law that Marie's grandmother, Catherine, was able to purchase her freedom in 1795. So, I, yeah, so she's purchasing her freedom. So I guess she... Um, yeah. Okay. So the idea has been put forth that the Laveau Glampion home served as a Southern depot for the Underground Railroad. Again, I don't know how true this is. I saw it in a couple of places. This may be wishful thinking. I have no idea, but I wanted to say it anyway. Um, but it said that she helped to free slaves. Marie is known through oral history to have provided slaves with charms to protect them on their journeys to freedom. It is noteworthy that Marie did not participate in the slave trade after Christophe's final sale in 1854 or after his death in 1855. So again, we don't know if it's true that Marie was a station master or not. It, I just thought it was worth mentioning because it'd be really yeah. nice if it was true that she helped people um, because she did help a lot of people. Yeah. Um, during her life, Marie Laveau was known to have attended to prisoners who were sentenced to death. Rumors circulated that some prisoners would receive potions, uh, not potions, but basically poisons <laughs> or other, some substances before going to the gallows, which... Spicy potions. Right. So this is never proven, but I mean, the reason that she would give somebody like a poison before they go to the gallows, because this could be potentially very painful. So she may have given them something to help numb whatever pain they might go gotcha. through. Um, but a reporter from the New Orleans Republican detailed one such visit in an article published on May 14th, 1871, in which he describes Marie Laveau as a, quote, devout and acceptable member of the Catholic Communion. Oh. Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. Following her death, her daughter, Philomena, this is, I think it's supposed to be a French spelling of Philomena, but it's Philomene. Um, confirmed during an interview with a reporter from the Picayune that only Catholic traditions would take place during these visits and that her mother would also prepare the men's last meal poison, and pray with them. Uh, Marie Laveau also sought pardons for or commutations of sentences for those that she favored and was often successful in her efforts. So, Very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was cool too. There was a lot of things that I didn't, that we don't know about her. They don't, they don't talk, talk about, about it because, again, they just used her for like, oh, well, Ridiculous. insert blank super natural or superstitious thing based in New Orleans. Yeah. Um, she was known to care for the sick in her community during the yellow fever epidemic of 1878 by providing herbal remedies and prayers to the afflicted. Her other community activities included providing lessons to the women of the community and doing rituals for those 
in need without charge. So she seemed to be pretty generous um, in her community, at least. Um, Marie was a dedicated practitioner of voodoo, uh, as well as a healer and herbalist. But wait a second. I didn't I just say that she was a devout Catholic. How could she also be a dedicated voodoo practitioner? Welcome to another quirk you will find rampant within New Orleans. <laughs> um, the term voodoo derives from a word meaning spirit or God in the Fon and Yu languages of West Africa. It has come to be used as the name for the religious traditions of Haiti, which blend Fon, Congo, and Yoruba African religions with French Catholicism. The voodoo... How... Sorry, I was just going to ask how... And there's also hoodoo. I don't, that is a different religion. I know I'm Entirely. talking about it here. Okay. Um, Sorry. As, as far as I understand it, I'll please feel free to corrections corner me if this is incorrect, but voodoo tends to be, it gets a lot of blame for some of the like bad stuff that, that, that voodoo is like, but, oh, it's bad. But like, I think that's supposed to technically be hoodoo. And I think, so I think voodoo gets a bad rep, but I think it's one of those people who don't understand it want to give it a bad rep. Exactly. Because everything I've ever heard about the practice is that it is, it's not that. And also it is a large mismatch yeah. of Catholicism bred into it, much like Santeria. Yeah, exactly. And it's supposed to be mostly benevolent and I think based on a lot of ancestral magic. Okay. So like them like communicating with ancestors. But also, I mean, they have their gods, they have their deities. That's not I hope that's not shocking to people that people in Africa had these things as well. Yeah. And that it got it's not, carried it's over. It's not only yeah. white people who had their own deities before mm -hmm. everything. Um and then we picked brown deities and made them white. But you know, hey, whatever. Yeah, I'll briefly touch on that. <laughs> um so, yeah, so, yeah, so the voodoo gods or spirits were called, and, and forgive me if I mispronounce anything, but they were called Iwa, um, and they're grouped into several nations linked to areas and peoples in Africa. Voodoo temples in Haiti and some in North America are marked by a sacred center pole. Intricate cornmeal drawings called veve are traced on the ground around the pole to summon individual spirits. Hmm. Yeah, it's cool. I had heard the word vive before, but I didn't know what it was. Um, so, on an altar, gifts of food and drink are presented. Singing, drumming, and dance invoke particular, particular spirits to become manifest in one with the devotees. In Haiti, a symbiotic syncretism, which is a word I learned today, Syncretism <laughs> of voodoo gods with Catholic saints began to take place. Possibly one way in which slaves who were expected to be baptized in the Roman Catholic Church maintained their own religious traditions under the veneer of Catholicism. In both Haiti and the U.S., however, expanding the visual and ritual vocabulary of voodoo through Catholicism was also a natural evolution of African religious Syncretism. Um, Dambala of the Fon people, for example, has come to be served as St. Patrick, while Ogu is served as St. James, and Uzili Danto as Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Alright. So, yeah. <laughs> they, it's, it's been, like, kind of, you know. I didn't know where they just had their own saint, but... <laughs> it's not caramel. 
That's not what I said. It's spelled C-A-R-M-E-L. The other A is not there. That's how you would say that word. That was uh, one of the words that uh, Teddy Roosevelt requested. They simplify the spelling of. Caramel. There's an A there. You're not wrong. You are correct. I know, but I let it go because it's just not a one I'm willing to die on a hill for. I'm not going to let it's go like... that our St. <laughs> Mother Worthers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I just found my patron saint, y'all. <laughs> Get your candy apples ready. Oh my gosh. Happy um... Halloween. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, I should... We should note, we have been day drinking today. We have been. We have been. We so went to the dog park and... Uh, we may think we're funnier than we are. Sorry, guys. We're doing our best. Uh, if you don't think we're funny, you can get the fuck out. It is our I'm podcast. hilarious. Um, and so are you. Thank anyway, you. Thank can, you. Continue thank with you. Uh, Our Lady Carmel. <laughs> yeah. Of Mount Carmel. Of St. Um, Brothers. Yeah. Of St. Brothers Cathedral. <laughs> so many t-shirts that we need to make. Um, alrighty. Um, in present day Haiti and North America, uh, the ritual calendar of voodoo is closely associated with the le- yearly cycle of the Catholic saints feast days. Yeah. So basically these what? two, re- yeah. So basically these two religions went hand in hand in the region. This is not a new trick, everybody. Um, <laughs> pretty much every time Catholics in history were like, yeah, you're going to pray our way now. Uh, many existing <laughs> religions and Wait until you find about pagans. Yeah, exactly. So pretty much, like, every time that happened, many existing religious important days and deities were appropriated by the church. If you don't believe me, please enjoy your Christmas tree and collecting eggs for your upcoming Easter. So that's not what you think it is. So, yeah. But, so, Marie is a voodoo practitioner. Um, She is said to have traveled the streets like she owned them. Um, Hell Yeah. (laughs) Said by some to be the granddaughter of a powerful priestess. She's uh, Angela Bassett. Like, come on. Yeah, right. The power. The presence. <laughs> the presence. Mm. She Actually, is... you know what? That's all I have to say on that. Mm. Yeah. She's magical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she's she's just magical. All hail Angela Bassett. Moving oh. on. Yep. 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 Um, okay. So, she's walking the streets like she owns them. Um, she's said to be, or so, sorry, said by some to be the granddaughter of a powerful priestess in San... Domingue. Um, Laveau reportedly had a familiar background in African spirituality. She was drawn to religion after the death of her mother. Laveau underwent the tutelage of Dr. John Bayou, a well-known Sangalese conjurer or root worker. Her daughter, Marie Laveau II, was a bit more public with her practice. I'm sorry, she made a junior? She did. Hell yes. I love Continue. that. I was, a, I th- yeah, that's how I felt. Um, I love that practice. I love that practice. I wish it would come back. Only men are doing that now. <laughs> I wish more women would do that. It was, so I'll talk about this in like a second, but basically I guess it was encouraged for French people to have like, yeah, uh, we'll get to it. I love it. I <laughs> love it. I'm me here too. for it. Me too. Um, so yeah, her daughter, Marie Laveau II, was a bit more public with her practice. She would hold public events, including inviting attendees to Bayou St. John for large ceremonies. So I think it's possible um, a bit of the voodoo queen reputation and image may have come from Marie's daughter as much as it did from herself. Um, But Marie Original 
started a beauty parlor where she was a hairdresser for the wealthy families in New Orleans. As many hairdressers do, Marie spoke to and listened to her clients. By doing this, she was able to obtain a lot of inside information on New Orleans who's who by listening to her clients and working with the client's servants by paying them. Servants may have also been slaves. I don't want to just over stuff that um but by paying them or helping them with her voodoo practice uh, marie was able to use the information she obtained during her voodoo consultations with the wealthy women of new orleans which would gain her the reputation of being clairvoyant she would also tell her or sorry sell her clients charms called grigri which are basically an amulet used to bring luck or protect the wearer from harm um, there were often rivalries over who should rule the voodoo scene in New Orleans. After taking a prominent stance as voodoo queen, Laveau, re uh, she reigned unchallenged until 1850, when another Creole woman named Rosalie attempted to challenge Laveau's position. To create an aura of fear and awe, Rosalie placed a huge life-sized wooden doll in her yard uh, that was said to have been imported from Africa. The statue was covered with beads and intricate carvings. When people in the voodoo community began expressing fear and respect for Rosalie because of the doll, this is just in my sources, y'all, but it says Laveau stole the statue. <laughs> uh, she was taken to court by Rosalie, but used her persuasive powers and influence to have the doll permanently removed. Nice. So, look, I mean, you gotta quash these things before they get too big. Like, doll? What doll? No, no there's no doll. Um... During her time in New Orleans as the, quote, queen of voodoo, clients appealed to her for help with family disputes, health, finances, love, the basics. It's what we're all after. Um, money, fame, power. <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and, wait, yeah, and love. We want love, too. Yes. Somebody, too. Sorry, that's your one second. Um, I would sing the love part, um, but I'm not, and you're <laughs> all welcome. <laughs> um, Marie would perform her rituals more privately um, in three main locations, her home on St. Anne Street, Congo Square, and at Lake Pontchartrain. At her home on St. Anne Street, Laveau would converse with clients who would meet with her regarding any issues they were having. In her backyard, she would also have ceremonies that conjured the spirit of the great zombie, and it's not just a coincidence that that's his name. Um, we get our Halloween mm -hmm. <laughs> fact. Um, zombie from it. It's the, the, honestly you can it's make a from, whole episode yeah, based on zombie and that route. But it, yeah. I'll just say for now that it's not a coincidence that it's called the Great Zombie. Um, the deity Dambala Widu, who would manifest through a snake uh, that Marie Laveau owned. The second major ritualistic place, Congo Square was a public square that was set aside by city officials as a gathering place for both enslaved and free African people. Laveau would gather her follow followers here on Sundays to dance and worship. No major ceremonies would take place here, but it was a place of spiritual gathering and rejuvenation for Africans who experienced major oppression and hardships, both on the plantation and as free citizens. The last place of significance was presided over by Laveau, where sorry, was Bayou St. John's, which was located on the shore of Lake Pontchartrain. It was here that major ceremonies took place among the initiated in the religion. Singing, dancing, drumming, and spare possession would occur in these gatherings. So I don't know about Lake Pontchartrain, but I do know, I think uh, Congo Square, they still have like 
meetings. That's nice. Yeah. Like, just a place set aside where people also, of color can go to, like, It's just... a public park, but it is yeah. a place of gathering. So. Yeah, I think it said it was in Louis Armstrong's park. Um, Congo Square. And then yeah. Congo Square is still there. Um, which is nice that there's still, like, something there where people can go. And yeah. it's where, like, ancestors have been going for... Since they were At least hundreds of years. Put here. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um... So, on June 17th, 1881, it was announced in the Daily Picayune that Marie Laveau had died peacefully in her home. According to the Louisiana Writers Project, her funeral was lavish and attended by a diverse audience. Oral tradition states that she was seen by some people in town after her supposed demise. News of her death was featured in a number of newspapers, including the Stanton or Staunton Spectator in Virginia, the Omaha Daily Bee, in Nebraska, as well as several other newspapers published in Minnesota. At least two of her daughters were named Marie, following the French Catholic tradition to have the first names of daughters be Marie and boys Joseph, then each would use the middle name as the common name. One of her daughters named Marie possibly assumed her position with her name and carried on her magical practice, taking over as the queen soon before or after Marie's death. Laveau's name and her history have been surrounded by legend and lore, although some references to Marie Laveau in popular culture refer to her as a witch. She's also been called a voodoo priestess, and she's frequently described as a voodoo queen. At the time of her death, the New York Times, the New Orleans Daily Picayune, and The Daily states, uh... no, sorry, The Daily states, it's just one, there are a lot of newspaper names, um, and other news sources describe her as a woman of great beauty, intellect, and charisma, who was also pious, charitable, and a skilled herbal healer, or herbal healer, um, for, and otherwise she's just healing a guy named Herb. <laughs> There's a difference in how you pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> to substantiate the claims about her being a voodoo queen or even some of the things I've described in this podcast. Um, Much of it is an oral history passed down through generations. That doesn't make these stories true or untrue. Um, It's very clear that she was important to the people of New Orleans and that she held great significance to her community. She is generally believed to have been buried in plot 347. Uh, the Glampion, whatever the heck, sorry for, sorry, Chris, his family crypt in St. Louis Cemetery number one, New Orleans. There's some dispute over this, but none that I could find that was credible in my day of research. Um, as of March 1st, 2015, there is no longer public access to St. Louis Cemetery number one. Entry with a tour guide is required because of the continued vandalism and destruction of tombs. Tourists continue to visit, and some draw X marks in accordance with decades-old tradition that if people wanted Laveau to grant them a wish, they had to draw an X on the tomb, turn around three times, knock on the tomb, yell out their wish, 
and if it was granted, come back and circle the X and leave Laveau an offering. There are many offerings at her tomb still, and we'll post a picture of that. Um, that's my story on Marie Laveau, the voodoo queen of New Orleans, but I would really like you to tell your story about that one time you almost left her something. Uh, yes. So I was in New Orleans uh, with... Uh, a former beau. Yes, someone I used to date. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were visiting. It was my very first time there. I was so excited. Uh, the cemeteries were still open for just wandering yeah. through. It was lovely. Um, and we got to, so we walk up to the cemetery. Uh, we stayed in the French Quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cemetery, the French Quarter, if you've never been, is larger than you anticipate. However it's big you think it is, it's bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's several, like many, many blocks long, but it also goes, right, it's, it's like, like 14 blocks deep. Yeah, it's a quarter, but like also within that quarter, there were other separate places like Storyville. Storyville was like the northern. Yeah, like there's whole other like yeah, subsex so in the quarter. It's it's a hike. So if you're staying down towards like where the main like jag canal. is now, uh, it, it's a hike to get to the cemetery, but it's, mm-hmm. and I say a hike, it feels like a hike in the oppressive heat and humidity of summer there. Yeah. Uh, Imagine if you it's make it on January, it may it's feel nothing. like a, quite it's nothing. a nice jaunt. Yeah. When yeah. I, so I've, uh, I have been to New Orleans more than I have been to any city that I have been a tourist in. I, I think it's, I, it's tied probably with Williamsburg for me. I, six or seven times for me. It's I go a lot. I my go, favorite city. We intend and, to go again when yeah. it is uh, Anne Rice's celebration of life. Yeah. It's probably the next time we'll be able to actually make it there because of yeah. pocketbooks. Uh, and <laughs> anytime anyone gives me the half of an opportunity, I'm there. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, X person and I uh, were touring the cemetery and it was a beautiful day out, like sunny like mm-hmm. sun is shining birds are chirping we're having a great time uh and we are going through cemeteries which is one of my favorite things to do on the planet and they're gorgeous too like we didn't talk about this but like the cemeteries are different yeah here. so everything is above ground in new orleans cemeteries if you're unfamiliar um and new orleans it's, is a bowl. it's a bowl and so the trouble with uh placing bodies underground is that they tend to reappear yeah when the water levels rise yeah so they It'll make right these uh above ground tombs and they are beautiful and unique to new orleans at least in the americas yes um and so we go and we're visiting and we come across to marie laveau's tomb and the person i'm dating at the time has uh he realizes that you're supposed to leave something of an offering Mm -hmm. and i am very much of the opinion don't invite shit into your house i would put Uh, flowers there which is, I like, flowers. Flowers are fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, respectful offerings are fine. You don't mm-hmm. invite... People leave all manner of things as offerings. Like, there were so many chapsticks in the Marie <laughs> Laveau Museum. I will give you my comfort. Right, um, yeah. Yeah. Hair I think, ties, which I guess a girl always needs another hair tie. Yeah. Uh, I think there are many, many, many appropriate mm-hmm. offerings to leave if you so wish and if you believe in this. I agree. However... <laughs> The person I was dating uh, had a Darth Maul key ring, or keychain, no, key, key, sorry, it wasn't a keychain, it was a key, mm-hmm. uh, a Darth Maul <laughs> key to 
the house we shared. <laughs> and he wished to leave this in offering to Marie Laveau. It's a horrible plan. I'm sorry. Like... And we proceed to have an <laughs> argument in the middle of a cemetery uh, for me saying you may not leave yeah. a key to Marie Laveau in this cemetery. Right. And he says, no one is going to know that this key goes to our address. And I said, I am not worried about people. I'm not worried of people from the physical realm in which you and I live. I am concerned for the woman... Okay, so she was a person of color, right, uh-huh. in New Orleans. She was maybe maybe not a devout Catholic, and her body is resting in a very Catholic cemetery. Mm-hmm. The practice of burial there is an extremely Catholic practice. Yes. And it is a Catholic cemetery and consecrated ground. And so may she be angry. Like... I- I don't, it, and rightfully I, I so. I have no idea. I don't know. Here's the deal. We don't know. But I, I don't presume to know, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just not fixing to take that chance. And so Homeboy and I have this argument in front of this tomb. And there is not a cloud in the sky. Mm-hmm. And the second I put my foot down and I'm like, we are not under any circumstances, like, we can have this conversation all fucking day. The answer is continuously no. Mm-hmm. We are not leaving a key to our house at the tomb of a supposed voodoo priestess who was buried in a Catholic cemetery. This right. is this uh, Under no circumstances. Also, occurring. we don't know how the rules work. If you leave that key, can anybody in the cemetery use it as a reason to leave, to we, get in? We don't know. We don't invite shit into our house. Right. So... Uh, we are standing there having this argument, and as soon as I am just forcefully, like, absolutely not, like, this conversation is over, we are not doing this, you need to move the fuck on, Mm -hmm. uh, with all of the base that I have, Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) out of nowhere, it starts pouring rain on, down on us, like Mm -hmm. a, like, a Florida level, middle of the afternoon thunderstorm, you can't Mm -hmm. see 10 feet in front of you, we have to huddle, under the eaves of Marie Laveau's tomb. And it is pouring rain. It is lightning, which is uncommon in that area yeah. of New Orleans. Uh, they they don't get the lightning storms like we do. Nope. And it is just a fucking torrential downpour upon us. And we are... My, I'm getting soaked. My shoes are soaked. His shoes are soaked. We don't have an umbrella because it was a sunny day. Uh, and then out of nowhere, it clears, mm-hmm. and there is literally a single cloud in the sky when we come out from under the eaves of this tomb. Mm-hmm. And uh, the yeah. man I was dating just looks at me and goes, we should have left the key. And I was like, oh yeah, you would like that, wouldn't you? Anyway, <laughs> and, uh, that was and the that's the story of why we broke up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that's the thing, and we, and I mentioned this briefly on our Amityville episode, I, I'm on the fence with exactly what I believe supernaturally, but I do believe in one paramount rule, and that is, it, it may or may not be real, but we're not gonna fuck around and find out. (laughs) I don't live by the fuck around, find out rule. As Um, I feel, okay, so my favorite murder in other podcasts. Uh, has the lock your fucking door mm-hmm. uh, tagline. I would like physically. ours would be don't invite shit into your house. Right? Just 
just we're just gonna err on the side of caution. We work in risk. Uh, we're just we're. I don't see a reason. I don't see a reason personally to to leave a a key or an invitation to come back to the hizzy. Yeah, <laughs> like, you just, you and again, do I don't know how the rules work. Let's say we we do believe that this is a thing with spirits, and like you can and you can leave that. How do we know? Uh, how do we know she's home? And there's not just some like how is that, character from how is Midsummer that, Night's Dream that's just gonna pick up the key and come home? We don't how know. is that maybe not every vampire ever considering that an invitation into your home? How is that not? Yeah, this is New Orleans. Uh, what serial killer was that? Who just walked there around? There were two and of them. Uh, these there were two of them that did this. I think. Um, I forget. It was one of the Night Stalkers. I don't think it was Richard Ramirez. I think no, it, was it was the other one. Was it was Richard, Richard Ramirez? Ramirez. He did that, but like less. Less, there was another one, and they but there used, was another... they used the argument that the door was unlocked, and therefore they were welcome into mm-hmm. the house. Now imagine leaving a key. Anyway, yeah, I stand by I my know. stance. I am not sorry. I don't think you should uh, be. You should I mean, never ha- don't leave your key as offerings to things unless you want them in your house. No, leave her flowers. Yeah, perfectly acceptable gift or chapstick or chapstick. hair tie because the lady always needs another hair tie. Or you know maybe a shot of something because everyone needs a drink. Leave her a bottle of wine. Leave her something, you know? But don't vandalize the tomb, because people were doing that, and that's why we can't get him without a fucking tour guide now, and tour guides can just monopolize that fee, which I think is like 25 bucks per person yeah. or something to get in to so go see. So people were vandalizing it. There was a lot of talk of, uh, so I guess her funeral, at least from what I got from the tours that I've taken there, mm-hmm. uh, she had a very Catholic funeral. She was not a devout Catholic. Um and well, may have been, but yeah, the, like the, the the mishmash. But she had like a traditional Catholic funeral, yeah. which was, uh, according to everything that I've heard, not in line with her beliefs. Right. And I so think... this is it's difficult to say, right? Because she is a woman of color; she is subject to that code, that like yeah. the the noir code, and it. We have no way of knowing if she's actually a devout Catholic, if she was, and this this is very possible because they exist today, people who are, combine Both. those faiths, like yeah. Santeria, like you mentioned, that combine those faiths and they and, well, practice they that, think... or if she was more into, like, she was a voodoo priest. We have no so idea. So I think New Orleans voodoo is very much entwined with the catholic faith because it, it has is. to be yeah it, right they, it's um, like saying that we aren't combined with pagans it's not true right yeah um but i think i don't know i also think it's interesting that as so just something that i've noticed with like white people mm-hmm. and all all of us um, all, yes. um it's a thing where we tend to discount oral history because mm-hmm. it's not written down yeah. because white people had exactly. the tradition of writing it down. Right. And then other cultures had that tradition of oral history. And so we right. tend to take that with a grain of salt. But if it's written somewhere that we consider to be exactly, And that's but, why I said that at the end of my story, because I was like, just because it's just passed down through oral history does not make it any it more or less it. true. Yeah. It, it, it's just, if they wrote it down in 1800s, like, it's just the same amount of true or not true. And it's not like... We're, the only thing that's true for a fact is the things that I was saying that was based off of census records. So we're talking yeah. first baptisms and deaths and it's not like everything else is subject to something somebody writ down yeah and it's not like uh the concept of the peer review was around exactly exactly so 
Right. Yeah. We have um, no way of knowing if she, and I can tell you that if, if she wasn't superly, superly, if she wasn't a super devout Catholic, she wasn't going to write that down when right. she's subject to all of these rules that people of color were. That so demand she could that be, she be Catholic. Exactly. So it's very possible that yeah. she wasn't Catholic at all. We don't know. That's why I was saying, I was like, some of these things I'm saying may or may not be true. It could be sensationalized that she's this voodoo queen because white people would sensationalize what they saw. Right. And that's oral history as well. Yes. I mean, we're getting into folklore here, so it's yeah, like, we but... don't really know exactly. We just know that she was a person who was apparently very generous in her community. Yeah. We know for a fact that she had at least seven slaves, or her husband did. Um, we don't know how involved she was with them. We know that she meant a lot to her community. She was involved. She did things. She helped prisoners. Well, These are she things that like, are... She was noted in the New York Times when yeah, she passed. Like she's... Like... A she, very prominent she was an figure. integral part of the community. Uh, and also, we know that Angela Bassett is fine as hell. Correct. <laughs> That's true. Um, so, I think, cheers to Marie Laveau. Yeah. And uh, if she soaked me that one time, probably fair, but also, I don't welcome shit into my home. <laughs> I'm not sorry. All righty. So, transition into your story. So, Tell me yes. another story. I'm so, so excited. I have... The I'm I'm still finishing up my glass of wine because I did pour a second while we were talking. That's okay. Um, but Alrighty. I have the Seven Moons, uh, Dark Side Red Blend. Mm-hmm. It is a Chilean red blend from Ooh. 2020, and it has notes of blackberry, caramel. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I want to like put my lips on the microphone like caramel. I really appreciate uh, you do that. Mocha, me. vanilla, brown sugar, and toffee. Uh, okay. Do do do. It should be delicious. Haven't tried it before. Thirteen percent shouldn't be too like. Uh, have you seen this brand many times, but never. But I figure seven moons. It's got all the phases. It should be good for our witchy witchy so. episode. I think so too. Uh, so allow me to pour you a glass, madam. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so this may be the only red wine that I have ever smelled that didn't just come through as that smells like red wine. This is an incredibly jammy smelling wine. Yeah. Like it smells like a blueberry raspberry jam. Okay. Which I've sadly never seen that combination. I've only seen one or the other and now I I just slammed the rest of my other wine. (laughs) So sorry y'all. Uh but Okay, now for me, that just smells like grapes again. That, and it tastes like it smells. It smells and tastes incredibly jammy, but it's good. I'm glad with I'm fine with it. Okay. It's kind of the other way. So my the witching red hour blend, is better. Yeah. The witching hour is better. I feel like they're, the, but... they're the, they're different sides of the same coin. Like when you go with a red blend, you can get one that's more on the drier side or you can get one mm. that's more jammy and this is just the other side yeah. of that. Uh, in my very humble opinion, your witching hour reserve better than the Seven Moons, uh, but Seven Moons isn't bad. No, not at all. And uh, it was like 12 bucks, I think. So. Okay, yeah. So they're about not pretty bad. much the same price yeah. point. And I think if you're a person that likes a sweeter red wine, this is going to be a better choice for you. Yeah. Um, so... Now we can't. Oh, hang on. We must cheers. Cheers to for transitions. Transitions. Like moons and people. <laughs> okay. So I know we just watched the new Hocus Pocus. 
Yes. In the original. Mm-hmm. If you're a millennial like us, I assume you love the Sanderson sisters as much as we do. I do. Um, but we also, I assume, are all familiar with the Salem witch trials. And I think we well, understand yeah. that by and large, the women who were hanged there. And men. And the men in the, well, impressed, uh, in the 1600s weren't actually witches. Uh, they were people who had the misfortune of straying from societal standards. We can talk about it. I'm, so, I'm sitting you, here like on my side. You I have my... a lot to say. I can see. So, like, it's, I'm just going to hit some bullet points instead because I just feel like I'm that's a it. better use of our time. A, the people that were put on trial here, were, it was mostly like a popularity contest, and mm-hmm. these people were had land that people wanted out of the way. B, <laughs> there were men and women. All of them were hanged. There was one that was pressed to death, yeah. um, and some died because of the deplorable de- uh, conditions inside the prison. Yes. Um, the reason they were hanged is because they were under English law and that was not under Catholic law. So a lot of people think that people in Salem were burned. That's true. not true. Yes. They were point. hanged. Um, and the only reason that that's a difference is because in English law, if you were a witch, it was considered a crime against the king. Um, and if you're under um, a Catholic rule, like place like Scotland or or if you were a French uh, a, under French rule that's considered against against the church so that's heresy so it's different so that was the difference in punishments how they were meted out they weren't witches (laughs) these are incredibly devout people these people took the incredibly difficult journey that it would have been on boat from England to a unknown place um, because they were Puritans these are people so uptight that the English were like you've got to get the fuck out (laughs) um so they're not witches. I'm sorry. I know that the, all of Salem is built up on this, and that's fine. Like, I appreciate that people are claiming this. This is folklore. We, Again, this it, is different. We explain that. That's... Okay, cool. Sorry, those are my bullet points. You're fine. I feel so strongly about Salem. I am so excited to tell you <laughs> Tell story. me everything. Um, so, all of that, yes. For all of the tragedy that mm-hmm. occurred there it in sucks. the 1600s. <laughs> awful misplaced. Full stop. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to suggest that there is a... I don't like the suggestion that there was a single witch in Salem yeah. during the 1600s, because, just, frankly, uh, I feel it is not true. It's just a socioeconomic masterclass on how people work. Yeah. In a small community. Yes. Honestly. And it's tragic. Um, yeah. But that has not stopped Salem from becoming a very witchy town. Which I love. And that is where our story takes place today. Love it. And... Salem has become something of a mecca for modern witchcraft practitioners. And I love that for them. (laughs) Uh, And there's a reason for that. There is one witch credited with turning turning Salem into a witchcraft mecca. Perfect. She is the official witch of Salem. Her name is Lori Cabot. Originally born in Oklahoma. Raised in California. And then spent her formative years in New England. In the 1960s, Lori Cabot found herself a divorced mother of two struggling to survive in Boston. Hmm. She began studying the occult and witchcraft with books out of the Boston Public Library. Good for her. I'm wondering if she has any, uh, any like, if she's related to the, the Cabot cheese people in Vermont. 
Maybe. That would be fun. That would be. Um, also, I've been to that factory and it is delicious. <laughs> There's free samples of cheese everywhere. Uh, that sounds like both destruction and dream for me <laughs> as someone who is lactose intolerant. Yeah, we'll make it a day because you can go there and the Ben and Jerry's factory in the same day. So you'll just have to make a day of it. Friend. <laughs> um, so for those who don't know, uh, we have been on multiple ladies trips uh mm-hmm. one of them was to new orleans mm-hmm. maybe two of them is to one friend of new orleans ones together yes yes uh and the next planned one is to salem yeah uh but so and we'll stop for a cheese day and then i will have to spend the whole <laughs> next day. day in a bathroom <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh but lactose intolerance is fun anyway <laughs> uh so she spent the entire time learning all of this out of the Boston Public Library. She was a mother of two children. She didn't have a lot of expendable income. Yeah, it's wild, but you can find the library. and encourage yeah. everyone to go. Uh, but she wasn't out of her broom closet just yet. <laughs> uh, she wore black robes and pentagrams, but it was the 60s, and people just assumed she was a hippie. I'm fine with that. Uh, she decided she and the family should just move to the suburbs, mm-hmm. specifically to an apartment on Chestnut Street in Salem. How exciting. How interesting. Uh-huh. The parallels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, can we all just agree to bring back capes? Can we do I, that now? Can I we all like, just do that? If we all do it, they can't say we're wrong. That's what I'm saying, is that we don't have to be weird. People will be like, oh, they're hippies. And that's fine, but there's enough of us to where we have a name and we have capes. Uh, we'll post a poll on <laughs> our... <laughs> Instagram? <laughs> no, on our, um... Mm patreon they're all gonna agree with us we did it on our instagram all right we'll do it on the instagram and the patreon your votes yeah. count for double if you're on patreon yeah uh feel free to join us at history or patreon.com slash history woes uh but yeah, let's bring back capes together guys. let's let's the hashtag bring back capes yeah anyway so she remained in the broom closet mm-hmm. until one day mm-hmm. her black cat molly boo oh, shit. got stuck in a tree I know. How cliche. It's it's awful. It's a black cat, too. Mm. In Salem. In Salem. What? With Lori Cabot. But at this point, Salem was not a witchcraft mecca. It was no. just a suburb of Boston. That's wild. Yeah. Okay, I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, she called the police for help, but the police brushed her off. What Saying the, the cat would come down when it was ready. That's true, but it's typically a very horrible process. Despite her other cat going down and calling out for Molly Boo to come down, the other cat was distraught. It was sad. It was like, hey, yo, Molly, come down. down. There's no fancy feast up there. No friskies. Correct. No meowmics. It was tragic. Uh, So after they brushed her off, she waited three days. Oh, my gosh. Three days later, the cat still had not come down. So Lori called the local news station uh-huh. and declared, My cat is stuck in a tree. I am a witch. That cat is my familiar, and I want someone to come get my cat out of that tree. Okay. The attention was almost immediate. Perfect. Several people showed up to help get the cat out of the tree, along with a news crew, a photographer, and the mayor. Good. Good. And with... All of the media attention, Laurie seized the opportunity and opened the very first witch shop in Salem. I love that. It's interesting because um, 
Uh, new fact. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. I'm way too knowledgeable on this place. And I've only been <laughs> one time. Um, so there's Salem proper, right? Mm-hmm. Where all of these things are. So um, there was a difference at the time uh, when the witch trials were happening. Winter. 1692. Picture. Um, it was cold. It would have been cold. Uh, but there was a difference. There was Salem Township and, Ta- and Salem Village. Where they are now, where the big Salem is, is called mm-hmm. Salem. Uh, that was the township, and it was much bigger. Um, where the witch trials happened, uh, they wanted to disassociate themselves from what happened because eventually everyone caught on to the fact that this was bullshit, um, even at the time. And they changed the name from Salem to Danvers. So you have Danvers, Massachusetts, which is where everything actually happened. So if you ever go to Salem and you're interested in seeing some of the, um, they don't have a lot going on there because, again, they did want to disassociate themselves. But Danvers, Massachusetts, next to Salem is where you're going to find a lot of your things. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, so I think the the spot where everyone's hanged is actually, it's tragic, it was on a specific hill and it is yeah. now behind a Walgreens. A modern day yes. apothecary. Yeah, well, yeah. Disrespectful. And disrespectful. But. Interestingly, uh, speaking of houses and bringing things in and inviting, my mom, I remember she, I was like mm, 14, maybe 15, and I guess someone at work had given her a vial that they had brought back from Salem, and it was supposed to have twigs from a tree on Gallows Hill. And she, I don't know, I guess because I was in eighth grade and I was very interested at the subject at the time, um, asked me if we should bring this in the house. And I was like, no, you leave that in the glove box of this car. And then eventually she got rid of it. But I was like, we will never be bringing twigs from a tree on Gallows Hill into... That's fair. Even though, and I'm fairly certain of this, they built a gallows, they weren't hung from trees. But we're still not bringing... Hear me. Uh, you know that song, my name is no, my sign is no, my yes. answer is no. We're still not doing you it. You need to let it go. That, it's <laughs> it's disrespectful that you guys collected Correct. those in the first place, if they were even, in fact, from this hill that's behind Correct. our Walgreens. Correct. Agreed. <clears throat> oh. Yeah. So, Lori Cabot seized the opportunity, opened the very first witch shop in Salem. Later in the 70s, Lori would receive the title of the official witch of Salem from the governor of Massachusetts, Michael oh. Dukakis. Oh, wow. In recognition for all of her efforts uh, in working to help children with dyslexia. Oh, that's right. Well, fantastic lady. She's a good witch. Uh, she's, yes. She's since become known, well known uh, as a psychic author and police aide. And with that, I yeah, need you to. Picture it. I'm here for it. It's 1991. It's way better than 1692. Correct. <laughs> for witches, we, at least. We have showers and air conditioning. Uh, maybe not if you're up there, I, but I here I think at heating least. heating is what they were after. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's 1991. You're an artist. You're a lady. You're in your mid-30s. Your name is Martha. Okay. There's a guy who recently moved to town. Mm-hmm. He's an attractive man. Mm-hmm. Mid-40s. Bit old looks, for me, but all right. Looks like a bald Burt Reynolds. You're, you're 37. Oh, okay. Okay, so uh, about right on four. And I guess if it's like, was this the 70s? Yeah. 
If he looks like Burt Reynolds. Well, no, it's the like, 90s. But, you know, Burt Reynolds still. still uh, Burt Reynolds, I guess, I'm in the Yeah, so he's got, like, the stash, but bald, but, like. Uh-huh. He looks like Walter White. <laughs> but, like, best case scenario. <laughs> best case Walter scenario. <laughs> His name is Tom Maimoni. Word has it, he's recently widowed, and he has a boat. I do he's... like a boat. You I note that later, but yes, you do like boats. Uh, he's an engineer for the Parker Brothers, the game company. The people who make Monopoly. I was going to say, this is the motherfucker who created a mousetrap. <laughs> that was unnecessarily hard. Correct. Uh, he has a dog. Okay, well, I'm down. One day, he's out walking his dog. Mm-hmm. You're walking your dog. You cross paths. What a meet cute. He introduces himself. He casually mentions that he has a boat. You love boats. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, and offers to take you out sometime. Okay. Uh, you He tells you that he's extremely lonely, missing his deceased wife, and you feel bad for him. Mm-hmm. Despite being very happily married yourself. Oh, shit, I'm married. I'm not even looking. You agree to go sailing with him. The man needs a friend. He doesn't need my friendship. He does. Okay. And this, you, this I guess. You think he does. Okay. You, he needs me. You are a very carefree spirit. He needs and me. And you are madly in love with your husband. And you think that this man just needs a friend. Just needs a friend. I may just be writing myself here. <laughs> it's fine. Where you just, you're like, no, he just wants to be my friend. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you meet at the harbor and you sail out. And that is the last time anyone ever hears from you. Oh. Your loving <sighs> husband, Brian, calls the police the next day oh, and Brian. then reaches out to Tom. So, July 12th, 1991, 37-year-old Martha Brailsford goes missing. Oh. And when Tom is asked what happened... He denies ever going sailing with Martha. He says, no, Stop. I never even took her out. Bullshit. Then his story changes, mm-hmm. saying that they went out sailing, but he dropped her off at a pier and didn't see what happened to her after. He just dropped her off before sunset, and she wandered off alone. Sorry, did the guy who killed that journalist read this guy's entire playbook and this thought that would work? It didn't the first time, apparently. Um, Yeah. So then, a few days later, his story changes yet again, mm-hmm. telling detectives that Martha was standing in front of the boat when a rogue wave hit it. <laughs> she lost her balance, hit her head, fell off the side, and fell off into the water. He claimed that he searched for her all night, but never found her. This is after the invention of 911, sir. The bitch is a lie. Mm-hmm. Spoilers. <laughs> so... The police scour the bay, but are ultimately unsuccessful in locating her. Mm-hmm. And it is at this point that desperate police captain, Paul Murphy, reaches out to the official witch of Salem herself, Laurie Cabot. I like where this is going. Laurie asked for Martha's name, date of birth, and where she lived. Did she use any psychometry? Did she ask for, like, a thing of hers to hold? Nope. Just... Date of birth, okay. name, location. I think she may have asked for where she was born also. Okay. Psychometry for people who do not know is like where you hold like an object and you 
based on holding that object, can psychically gain knowledge from it. So people yeah. will do that for murder investigations, but also, like, if they're doing a ghost hunt. Yeah, so it, she just asked for her, like, basic info. Yeah. Uh, then Lori, yeah, so then Lori relaxed into what is known as her alpha state. Okay. And, uh, she had a vision. Mm-hmm. She said that Martha went sailing with Tom mm-hmm. and he started making sexual advances towards her. She declined. When he became angry, he hit her over the head and she said that she could see him tying anchors to her waist and feet to sink her to the bottom of the ocean. Lori told police that Martha's body was still anchored offshore of a small island and that she could see a lighthouse from where Martha's body was anchored. Mm-hmm. Hours later, a fisherman named Hooper Goodwin went to check his crab traps in Massachusetts Bay off of Marblehead. When one of his traps started to surface, he noticed it had an anchor attached to it with some line. He pulled the line. There were more anchors, and they were attached to Martha Brailsford. Well, this fucking idiot apparently used line that was capable of pulling quite a lot of poundage. You moron, <laughs> you should have had one pound line. <laughs> well, buddy, not, not really. I don't even think that's how that works. I'm no, just you don't want your lines to snap, right? Like, right, no. And, oh, you mean the murderer. Right, but regardless, you wouldn't have a, like, because then the anchors wouldn't stay attached mm-hmm. to the person, so I'm just being silly. But... I'm glad that you found her. Yes. Also, how many anchors do you take out into a fucking boat? I thought you only needed, like, one, maybe two as a backup. Well, apparently you need at least three if you're going to anchor a boat and (laughs) He's an engineer for the Hasbro Gaming Company and also Acme. (laughs) (laughs) He's got eight Acme anchors on his boat. He's just got the giant ones that are shaped like an anvil. Yeah. And he just chucks it over. Which are very heavy for everything else, but not for him. He's just easily maneuvered. They're them. engraved with, like, Wile E. Coyote yes. and Roadrunner. Exactly. Yes. Um, so, attached to the anchor, sadly, was Martha Brailsford. Just as Laurie Cabot had predicted, Martha had been bashed repeatedly over the head five times. And had one anchor tied to her feet and another tied around her waist. Uh, there is also a lighthouse on Marblehead where this occurred. Yeah. As news of Martha's body was being found broke, Tom went on the run. Police search everywhere for him and cannot find him. Eventually, they again go to Lori Cabot for help. Uh, she performed a binding spell on Tom. Making a straw doll of him mm-hmm. and binding it with a white cord. Okay. Uh, she went into her alpha state again and had a vision. She said Tom would do something incredibly stupid to get caught and that he would attempt to change his appearance. Mm-hmm. Three days later, near the Maine and Canada border, uh, wait police, which is a town in Maine, Mm -hmm. uh, receive a call that there's a car parked in front of a cabin that's supposed to be vacant. Uh, This is like a tourist area, Mm -hmm. and the locals realize whoever owns this is not supposed to be there. Right. Uh, So they call the police. 
and upon inspection, the police discover signs of forced entry. And when they enter the home, they find Tom Mimoni, sans mustache, asleep on the couch. He had shaved off his mm-hmm. mustache so he could hopefully cross yeah. into Canada unnoticed. After his arrest, he confessed that he murdered a woman. Uh, and although after, during his defense, his defense attempted to claim that he was insane, but mm-hmm. apparently, uh, taking anchors with you to tie to someone and chuck them yeah, overboard. Acme anchors on board. You yeah. can't just be like, well, I designed just, games for Hasbro. It shows too much planning. So yeah, sadly, uh, he, he didn't get away with it. I guess not sadly, but <laughs> Anyway, yeah. uh, he's found guilty, and in 1993, he is sentenced to life in prison, uh, Bye. where he passed away in 2017. Okay. Bye. Yep. Uh, so, but, Lori Cabot still lives today. Mm. She is 89 years old. Wow. When she opened the first witch shop in Salem, she started a movement. Mm-hmm. More and more witches came to Salem, mm-hmm. and it became known as a safe haven mm-hmm. and a place of acceptance for practitioners. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 97, there were 2,500 identified witches living in Salem. Some Wiccans, some practicing other paths. I'm sure now that number is much higher. And despite her successful business that still exists today, but under new management... Because Lori kept up with the times and moved her shop online as of 2012. Hey. Uh, she insists that her primary motivation has been to help and educate the public on the subject of witchcraft and dispel rumors about the practice. She has gone on to publish six books and has taught various classes at Harvard on the subject. Oh. So I'd say she's doing a fantastic job. I would say so as well. Um, and that is the short, but I think very interesting story of the official Witch of Salem, Lori Cabot, and the murder of Martha Brailsford. I love that for her. I don't love that uh, I died. I'm sorry. I, um, I do keep putting you in situations where you die. That's fine. Um, but I feel bad for Martha and her husband, Brian. Um, that sucks. But I'm really glad that Lori Cabot was able to help. Um... That's a really cool story. I love that Salem is now... I imagine that the original um, persecutors of the Salem Witch Trials will be rolling over in their graves about this, and that does make me... That gives me some joy. Um, it does. Yeah. So, I love that it is what it is. And it's it's really... it's a fun, I mean, it's touristy, right? Uh, if you go to Salem now, they call it the Witch House. I think it's where one of the judges lived. Don't quote me on this because it's been a while since I've looked at it, but the house is pretty famous. It's like all black, or it's, mm. it's like a, it's a chest. It's like a, a not chestnut. It's like a very dark brown. So apparently, I was watching a thing recently where, I guess the old houses, uh, when they were originally built, they didn't have any sort of treatment for the wood, mm-hmm. so they would build it, and of what upon build, they would be these very light colored wood houses. Uh-huh. But then through weathering and oxidation, mm. they would get darker and darker and darker. That makes sense. And so that's how they became these very, very dark houses. But now when people are attempting to restore things, they just 
paint them this very dark color, despite them originally just being like a, like, yeah, how you would say like pine wood, like it fresh as it is. Anyway, I I think that's fun. Yeah, I imagine that house was, it, most of the boards have probably been replaced at this point. Um, and then, but it's very interesting, the inside of it, it's very cool, it's set up like how it would have been set up. Hello, Xander, finally here. Hello, good boy. <laughs> He's like, I'm a familiar. I'm a kitty kitty. He says I'm a familiar of this podcast. Yeah. So, and then they've got, um, if you go into, like, Danvers, where everyone lived, they have, because it's just so old, it was, it's just, like, the outline of, like, the foundation of the house, so you can kind of, like, walk. And they're very small. Like, all the houses at this point were, like, they're very, very small. I mean, they're exactly the space you need to live and, in. And like... even, like, less so in some ways. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, so you walk in, it would have been um, Samuel Parrish's house, who is the the reverend, and where Abigail lived, Abigail Williams, and they were some of the accusers, some of the girls afflicted, quote-unquote, um... And you can go, like, walk the, uh, like, the foundation. It's still there. And you can go put flowers on the uh, memorial for all of the people who were hanged when, and or pressed to death. And it sucks because they're just, they don't... So there were 19 people officially killed, murdered, basically, mm-hmm. um, including Giles Corey, who was the one who was pressed to death. Um, but so many more people died in prison and like nobody yeah. like talks about them a lot because I mean, we're talking winter in the in late 1600s in Massachusetts. So yeah. that's a grueling time. Like you're talking yeah. winter storms. They're not given, I mean, they're basically chained to where they are. They're not given access to bathrooms. Obviously they're not given access to like any kind of protective measures as far as like clothing, like you're just living in rags in prison. And if you die there, well then you die there. So, I mean, that part's sad. It's, I mean, there's a lot of sad things, but I really appreciate that today. It's very, very fun. Um, and they've got the bewitch statue there, which I'd like to see. I didn't get to see okay. that, that one time. Um, I'm very excited to go visit. I think it'll be great. And if you do go, in the fall time, it's going to be packed. It's going to be a lot of people there. But they've got a lot of shit going on. And it's, just, I mean, it's cool no matter what time of year you go. Last time I went, it was summertime. Okay. So I was a kid. Oh. And it's when I was out of school. I'm very excited to check it out as an adult. But. Yep. That is... And we're also very excited to bring you uh, more stories this yeah. month. We've got some great, uh, what do we call it? spooky things spooky things uh themes coming up we got great spooky themes coming up and we're excited to tell you yep um in the meantime uh you can find us on our instagram at history woes if you would like to become a patreon member you can find us at patreon.com slash history woes um on our instagram you can find our link tree to find our podcast wherever your podcasts are streaming and we look forward to seeing you next time guys bye bye Thank you.